Trying to save your souls from damnation So if you down with the message Tune in every week It will lead you to the message that you seek Uh Welcome to the Real Word Season 9, Episode 6. I'm your co-host, Ricard Jean Noel. We welcome all of you that has been supporting us so far, thus far. Shout out to everybody that's watching us on Facebook Live right now. That's facebook.com backslash the Real Word 7. The number 7 like Mike Vick. You can also catch us on Instagram at the Real Word Ministries Inc. on Instagram. That's at the Real Word Ministries Inc. on Instagram. We're also on YouTube, youtube.com backslash The Real Word TV, The Real Word TV on YouTube, and also on the Brick Network every Tuesday and Thursday at 12 noon, at 1 a.m., and at 4 p.m. So check your local cable listings. And we also on um, podcasts. If you like podcasts, that's Apple, Spotify, Pandora, and SoundCloud. I have two special guests, and my co-host, Kamel, going to show up later. So watch out for Kamel. He's going to pop out of the blue. Um, but we're here with two special guests, two experts in the fields that they do, two doctors in the house. So introduce yourself. Um, if it cuts off, just come back in the Zoom with the same meeting word. So ladies first. Hi, it's very nice to meet you all. Hello to your listeners. Thank you for having me. My name is Dr. Mansa Human Thrive Psychotherapy and Coaching. It's a family business with uh, my husband is an ADHD life coach, and I'm just a therapist. We have other clinicians and coaches that are with us. It's very nice to be here. Thanks for having me. And thank you for being here. And we have another doctor in the house. Introduce yourself, sir. Hi, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure being here. I am Dr. Ni Dang. I am a family medicine physician. Been practicing over a decade now. Uh, I see anywhere from newborns to uh, geriatrics, so my practice is pretty uh, varied. But I have been uh, seeing more mental health issues. That's why I'm here today. Okay, okay. So yeah, ironically enough, the last I'll say three, four, five episodes was all centered around mental health. Ironically, we had one guy that wrote a book about um, being bipolar. Um, he was tragically raped at the age of 10. We had another guy who was battling with depression and, um, he attempted suicide several times and we had all these other people with that's dealing with this. So ironically enough, both of you guys are from California also. So give it up for California in the house one time. So 
I want you guys to tell me why you came on the show. I'll let um, me go first. Yeah, uh, like I said, I've been having uh, the more mental health visits for my patients, so that's one of the reasons why I'm on here because I, I want to be a big advocate for our mental health. Um, my, you know, my angle is that I think mental health we should be more proactive mental health instead of reactive. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like our physical health, you know, we exercise, we try to eat right, to take care of our physical health, but we don't really do any of that for our mental health. Like there's no, we don't take any proactive measures for our mental health and then we wait till something happens, something tragic happens and then we try to react to it. So I think that's, by that time, it's kind of like waiting for your heart attack to happen before you take care of your health, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you're already behind the ball. So I think my, my approach is uh, I want to spread awareness. My uh, ideal situation would be, you know, to have that conversation, sorry, at home, you know, the parents can talk to your kids and talk in the classroom about mental health. So they're, I think it starts at a young age. That's how you become more proactive, just have that conversation when they're younger, when they're able to kind of listen and understand instead of waiting for something to happen. So that's why I'm here today. Mm. And what about you, Miss Lady, Dr. Misa? Hi. So I'm here for twofold. Um, one end is definitely I want to bring a lot of awareness to childhood trauma and childhood complications. Many of us go through situations where they are difficult growing up. Uh, every parent, every caregiver, every guardian does the best they can. And there's a part of our human essence to do the best we can. But the reality is that trauma gets transferred from generation to generation. And it has a severe and significant impact. Even when people are doing well in their lives, they are successful, they have achieved their goals or their desires, they still may struggle with anxiety, depression, not feeling close to the people they love, feeling alone, isolated, not really being able to take their lives to that, you know, the, the higher level, the, intimacy that is necessary for our lives as human beings mm. and like that and talked about it i think it's so important that mental health and in essence our relationships the way we exist is so attended to and talked about especially in childhood and then later on in adulthood to be dealing with the consequences of those traumas whether it's significant trauma like abuse or even a misattunement, some sort of a misunderstanding early on. Because the way these things impacts people is that it really sets their view of the world. And from there, they start to function in the world based on those experiences. What I do is that I help people learn this change in their personality and really being able to transform who they are by healing from their early experiences. And the world opens to them. And by that, they affect many generations to come. And as I said, it is too old. Uh, I'm Iranian, I'm Persian. Mm -hmm. And I also want to bring the attention of the world to the trauma that is happening in Iran. And the way the so-called regime is slaughtering individuals men, women, children, people of Iran, just because they want a new regime. 
and really request everyone's assistance to hear our plea. You know, as people, we are very strong, but we don't deserve the treatment we're getting. Mm. Dr. Deng, what, what, what do you think about that? <clears throat> I wholeheartedly agree. I think we're on the same page. I think uh, trauma is definitely something that requires a lot of therapy and, and healing. I think it's not something where you kind of grow out of it. Mm. So, Dr. Misa mentioned like her background, like being Iranian and the struggles and their plight and the things that they're going through and how she's advocating from a professional standpoint and from um, a social worker standpoint, you know, trying to help society and move and advocate for change um, for her people. What about you, Dr. Deng? Um, do you feel that you're involved within your community, within the Asian community, or would you consider yourself Asian? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm an immigrant. I, I came to the States when I was seven, so I'm, I definitely identify as an Asian American. Uh, you know, just like any other immigrant, you very similar discrimination, trying to assimilate to the American culture. And, you know, all of us, you know, have some kind of trauma that we're dealing with <laughs> growing up. And most of us, you know, are still dealing with it to this day. So, um, in terms of my community, you know, one of the things that I've noticed uh, in the Asian community is that we don't really talk about mental health. Yeah. It's not something that we really discuss at home or discuss with our family. It's just kind of something we just don't really kind of completely ignore. Mm. So that's why, you know, after uh, losing my nephew to a suicide okay. six months into the pandemic, I felt like I really need to really do something for the community to bring that to the forefront. So that's why I wrote my children's book series on mental health. So then we can have that, open up that discussion in the household, something that parents can discuss, talk to their kids about, where it's, no, mental health is a very difficult topic, so I can't even imagine just bring it up out of the blue. So hopefully with the books, I believe that, you know, you can, they can transition into talking about these conditions and a segue into it without being very uncomfortable. You know, I have kids of my own. I can't imagine just bringing topics like that up to them out of the blue. And so I think um, a good way would be through storytelling, kind of discussing the characters and seeing what their experience, what they're going through. So I think that would be my approach to mental health awareness, is just through storytelling, how the parents discuss these topics, uh, very difficult topics within their kids without feeling comfortable. So I think definitely there is so much mental health awareness needed in the Asian community. So I, and, and I mean, even in general, not just the Asian community. That's why my hope is for this book to be that that pivot point where you can start talking about mental health without in the household. And what's your country of origin? If you I'm Vietnamese. Okay, okay. And I'm Haitian. I'm from Haiti. And this is Kamel. Hey, guys. Kamel <laughs> is my co-host. So, um, Kamel, if you want to introduce yourself to the show. Yeah, I'm Kamel. Yeah, you know, I'm running in New York traffic time. <laughs> <laughs> and we got two doctors in the house. We oh, got um, one children's doctor and then we have a uh, 
a clinical doctor, a social worker. Okay. Okay, so we have... And we're talking about mental health right now because she's mm-hmm. advocating for, like, um, Persian rights. She has Persian background, okay. so that's modern-day Iran, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so... Wow. And also, Dr. Dang, he's... He's a child doctor. Like he he works with mostly children, so he's so he wrote a children's book. Mm-hmm. Oh man, it has been forty five minutes. Oh yes, before the show start. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's where we're at. Yeah. Mental so, health. So it's a good lineup. I was telling them that uh, it seems like that's all we've been talking about lately. It's probably the most needed to be spoke about right now because. Let's be real, COVID-19 messed a lot of people up mentally. Facts. <laughs> I mean, we, people have lost religions. <laughs> a lot of people. It's hard to keep the, the young people in church still. I mean, you got to find... Dr. Masa, we yes, got you back right. in the house. And we got Dr. Dang. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We got to wait for him. Yeah. He coming in, he coming nice in. Nice to meet you too, huh? Thank you. <laughs> Dr. Dank, I'm so sorry about your nephew. That is horrible. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Dr. Dang, what, what happened to your nephew? No, as I was saying earlier, I said, you know, my, I lost to suicide six months into the pandemic. And it, that's why it, made me really want to do something to start that conversation at home. You know, that's why I said I started the children's book series to, you know, have that, open that dialogue at home. You know, I've, you know, growing up, I don't recall talking to my parents about mental health or my siblings or my aunts or anybody, really. I mean, it's just something that you don't really talk about. So, not at all. You know, <laughs> so that's why I felt like I really need to do something. It's kind of like survivor's guilt because I felt like, what if I done something different? Would I have impacted him in any way? Where I could have prevented that suicide if I called them, I did this, I did that. But I realized, you know, at that point, there's nothing much I can do except for do something positive moving forward. You know, taking that negative into a positive. That's why I want to. And like I said, I that's why I wrote that book series to help change maybe impact one child, prevent them from a suicide, having that discussion at home before it just got, was too late. Appreciate your cause, man. What, what would be a key factor in having a good mental health? Um, we had a we had an episode on one of the gentlemen, I can't think of his name right now, but he was talking about how, you know, therapy, how his parents got him therapy because they they were terrible at talking to him about, you know, yeah. his health, his mental health. So, and they were able to afford it. Yeah. So what, how can a regular parent like myself, I'm also a father, how can a regular parent like myself see the signs of mental issues and help them? Yeah. So, you know, for as a parent, sometimes you're so busy, you know, with work and trying to just get them, you know, to go with their schedule. Sometimes it's, you know, it's hard to follow science. You know, I, I've known like uh, physicians who lost their kid to suicide and they're, they're physicians. So, wow. I mean, if anybody yeah. should be picking up, you know, it's them, but it's just to show that it's not, it's very difficult if you're not really, 
looking out for it, mm-hmm. right? So I think the main thing to look out for is any kind of like um, behavioral changes. You know, I think in even at home or even with their friends. And sometimes some patients are very good at hiding it, but I think if you really, really know your kid well, you know that they're just acting a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I think that's when you should kind of look into potentially the cause. I mean, it's not always mental health if they're active a little a certain way, mm-hmm. but I think that should be the first sign that just you just feel like they're just a little off. I think as your parent, you kind of have a sixth sense with their kids. You're like he, he or she is acting a little funny, mm-hmm. and I think that's that should be your tipping. Sometimes you know it could not be mental health, could be some other issues going on. But I think that's when you kind of should kind of put your ears up and kind of listen and look out and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. What's that? Marsha? Mansa, yeah. Mansa. So thank you for asking that question. I think it takes a lot of power as a parent to want to know more. But the first and most important thing I'm going to say is that the relationship with the others, including the relationship with you, is the most healing factor. Mm. And so having a close relationship with our children, intentionally spending time with our children, listening to them, not kind of like being on our phones and uh uh-huh, 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 <laughs> but really sitting down, playing, listening, being curious about our children's lives. Mm-hmm. Because children can mask what they're going through if they feel like they're not allowed to show their true selves to us. Really, the job of a parent is to be curious attentive and a guide, right? Our children are their own people. Mm-hmm. They have their own personalities and they need our support to be able to see who they are, find their strengths and encourage their strengths, but always be there for them no matter what. Mm-hmm. Creating that connection with the children allows them to come up to us when they're struggling. And mental health is a very important and difficult concept. Most of us have experiences of trauma, whether we realize it or not. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that is, you know, through tradition, through culture, through our own parents' experiences of traumas or the generations before us. It impacts our own way of existing and relating to others. Doctor, as you mentioned, you know, Suicide is such a tragic story that takes so many people with it. And it is really what you're doing is very noble. Right? That I don't want you to feel like um, you're responsible. But what we can do is to really become curious about our children and their lives. And they're very difficult lives these days. Yeah. We don't really have access to them, right? <laughs> It's a it's a dancing era for you know this generation. I'll say that's how they've been expressing themselves. So. Yeah, <laughs> through that or through violence. Like with us, I'm perfect example. Chicago, in Chicago, all those kids that grew up hearing about oh, I'm smoking tuca, I'm smoking this, mm-hmm. they would make songs and raps and laugh about killing other kids. And it was like these kids was growing up with two, three 
bodies under their belt. Like <laughs> by by time, feel like even twenty. Twenty gonna kill <laughs> three different people, or like half of the class that they grew up with is, is either dead or in jail. Even here, like earlier, before I came here, I had a friend. He was on the phone with me, and he was like, "Oh, Ricardo, I want to do a mentorship program with the youth, and I know you've been doing that for a while, so I want to talk to someone that's been doing it." And I was like, "All right, um, and how? In what way would you like to do it? Would you like to do it in a way where you're mentoring one on one, speaking to kids mm-hmm. into a big group, or would you rather do it in like a way where you open up an organization?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, I want to open up an organization." I'm like, All right. Then we got to sit down. We got to do a business plan. We got to yeah, talk about meeting. mission statement. <laughs> then you come to the house. You can sit down. He's like, oh, nah, I got something to do this weekend. I can't do it this weekend. I'm like, this guy just chatting, man. There goes that um that power. You know, you got to commit to it. <laughs> yeah. But it's like a lot of us are looking for that. We're looking for those strong mentors. We're looking for those people that's going to be in our lives. That's going to just say a few words like, hey, don't give up. You can mm-hmm. make it, you know, and. To you, it might be like some simple words, but to that kid, it, it could probably change mean everything and change their life. It's like those kids that was like, yo, one day I was about to do this, and then I met so-and-so, and it was like, hey, don't give up. Just mm-hmm. keep going. Yeah. And he probably told 100 kids that. But, <laughs> yeah. but the kid comes back like 10 years later and was like, yeah, you remember that time you told me I could make it? Like Shaq, I was watching a Shaq documentary, and his dad told him, his dad was like, like, do you want to play basketball? He was like, nah, do you really want to play basketball? All right, I'm going to show you the game. If you don't do it, I'm going to beat your ass. But if you listen to me, <laughs> you're going to be the greatest basketball player that ever lived. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, he didn't even know that was his real, f- he, he didn't know that that was his stepfather until one day his real father called and was like, I'm the real father. That's how this went down? Yeah. I did not know. His real father was alive and his mom drove him to his real father's house. And after a while, he was like, yeah, I'm leaving. That's not my father. Now, <laughs> is it America's job? I mean, because, um... We do need more people, you know, as, you know, encouragers or, you know, good, good, positive influences. Um, mm-hmm. I find America is so focused on entertaining. We don't really get the the good influences anymore. Even I mean, sure, everybody knows um, TV shows teach kids to be so sarcastic mm-hmm. and so jokey. I find, you know, even with my daughter, I'm trying to remind her that, you know, this is entertainment. It's, be, it's not the way to be. You're not supposed to be all jokey. I mean, you're supposed to ha- have joy, yeah. but jokes is different, you know. You can confuse people. You can deceive. You can, you can deceive yourself. Mm. <laughs> yes. Excuse me, man. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. But, um, I was wondering if... Um, if who's res- I guess, who is responsible? For who? For the mental health of I don't I shouldn't America or shouldn't you know your country take care of your its people? <laughs> I guess isn't isn't there like a health general or someone? Hmm. That's a good question. Well, I I mean, this problem in America, you know, there's a big disparity in in just like uh, access to health, like. That's where we have all these big disparities in different communities. You know, like for example, you know, the African American community. You know, there's a big disparity in access to health. Nevertheless, mental health. Mm-hmm. So, in general, you know, uh, African American communities are, you know, generally they can't become very ill. 
because mm-hmm. it's a lot of access to health and then yeah, not just Americans, like other minorities like hispanics I, I think it's a lot of it it's there's just a, a it's like the, the it, lack the, of what is it called the immigrants mm-hmm. the immigrants kind of gotta start from zip <laughs> America don't really. Technically, we all here are immigrants. Yeah, but well, I think so for you. You was born in America. Yeah, yeah. Well, my parents were immigrants, so. And I feel the, you know. They don't really give us a the you know the, what is it you know they people go to Canada because they feel like the the start there is easier. You have a better chance of getting the health care. You get the, and it's just a better place. And well, from theory, I have not gone there. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> but um, in terms of somewhere like New York, is they call it rough. You know. It's expensive. Doggy dog world in New York. Con- it's cold. Concrete jungle. And I haven't been talking. We. I have not even been thinking about mental health until recent years. I have not even, it has not crossed my mind from my parents' standpoint. And trust me, I've had my brothers where my brother, I felt, probably needed some mental help. <laughs> and even myself. But in terms of, at those times, you know, you just called it, he's just being funny. He's being weird. Mm. You know, I'm I'm being quiet. I'm being weird, you know. I'm, but I never, you know, put it into a box of mental health. <laughs> I never thought about it as mental health. I just thought of it as going through the progressions of life, you know. It's such it's such a norm with so many people that have mental health issues that No no, but you have to work on your mental health so you don't become mentally ill. Mm. But what what qualifies as, you know, good mental health? One of the first things they tell you is self care. Like you gotta take care of yourself first. If you don't take care of yourself, then how are you gonna help anyone else? Yeah. Um you gotta find ways to practice um good self care practices. Mm-hmm. So um, let's just say taking a break, like sometimes, you know, people don't take a break at work even or, you know, from from certain situations, knowing how to control your anger, knowing the different stages of mm-hmm. anger, even the, the different stages of engaging with other people, mm-hmm. you know, knowing to walk away, knowing when to compromise, knowing um, when to collaborate, mm-hmm. you know, knowing when to debate and go back and forth with them. Mm-hmm. And even knowing when to just avoid them completely, you know, for your own safety or your yeah. own, you know, sanity. You know, these are, thing, yeah, <laughs> these are things that we we understand and we work on, you know. And self-care, like taking care of yourself, bathing, dressing nice, you know. Because if you look at someone that's decompensating, that's not taking care of these things, you can start to see that they start lacking and they start displaying poor you feel the vibes. Yeah, like a homeless person. They're not really showering, not really shaving. Don't mm-hmm. care about how they look. They like guys, whatever. Rolling out of bed. I gotta ask the doctors: Is the vibes real? His <laughs> vibes a real thing? <laughs> Can you feel somebody's, um, I guess, um, state of mind in a sense, or like you said, decompose in terms of? Can you feel that vibe is vibration? So it's like mm-hmm. what vibration you letting off, which mm-hmm. energy, and how it's being perceived or received by those in front of you. I'm such a Caribbean. I'm like vibes is vibration. <laughs> they just say the vibes, huh? No, I mean, the vibes are definitely true, but like, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as I step into the exam room, I kind of feel what 
what's going on in that room already, mm-hmm. right? When you know you feel like someone's happy or you feel someone's upset about a thing, they don't have to say anything. I just walk into the room, I can already like sense that, yeah. that vibe, that aura. Yeah. Oh, so it's, you know, I thought as doctors it was only science, <laughs> but um. No, I mean, for me, like sometimes I have to walk in. And I get to, I, I don't need to say anything. I just like, what's wrong? <laughs> right? Yeah. People really communicate through so many ways. Whether it is through their body language, the way they carry themselves. But oftentimes if we pay attention, we can feel what other people are feeling. Mm-hmm. So we have these neurons, these brain cells called mirroring neurons. But in essence, that's where empathy comes from. In essence, that's where a mother can know what the child needs. Mm-hmm. That we have this ability to really feel each other. But in this world, in the today's you know world, we are so consumed about yeah. all things, you know, what the social media things, what is the new thing in TikTok, so on and so forth, mm-hmm. that we really don't take the chance to really connect on a human-to-human level. When we think about mental health, like all of you mentioned, it is really this continuum. Not so much different than the physical health, right? Mental is this brain. Mm -hmm. There's not a difference between physical and mental health. It's the reality that it hasn't been attended. Yeah. In so many cultures. It's not being paid attention, and then we see the results of it. Yes. But we see the patient that is, you know, the client that has become decompensated. Mm-hmm. Since speaking with them, I had a client back when I was in the community mental health. She had um, a belief is affective disorder. Mm-hmm. But as we would sit down and we talk, she would tell me snippets of stories that she had connected to each other. But in reality, I think she was telling me her trauma story. What seemed to be hallucinations to me were true episodes of her trauma coming together. Because as I was listening to her, I could pick out the time she came in, the fact that she was kidnapped, that she was held against her bill, that later on, she, the, you know, the people who had brought her here left. And she was abandoned. Then what she had to survive. Then she had a child. The child was taken from her. She wasn't able to tell me the story, right? (laughs) But there were all these ways in which she was responding to her voices. It was really telling me the story of what she was going through. She was just reliving her trauma over and over again. And it was my job to try to piece together what she was saying. Forgive me, I'm going to turn on the lights. Okay. Man, tra- trauma like that, I don't, I don't even know where you begin to recover. <laughs> so, what about you, Doctor Ding? What, what are some traumatic things that you witnessed in your line of duty, or, or a lifetime that has helped shape or mold your beliefs and way of thinking? My own traumas or uh, other people's traumas. Whichever one you want to share with us. <laughs> For me, like I said, I, as an immigrant growing up, I think all of us just want to feel like we want to fit in. I'm just trying to uh, <laughs> assimilate it to the culture. Yeah. 
as an immigrant, like I, I happen to be plopped in like a uh, predominantly Caucasian community where everyone's about middle class. So I was the only immigrant in in the school. Mm-hmm. So I look different. I just English. I didn't understand the culture. <laughs> Your so vibes is different. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, pretty much. I stood out like a sore thumb, <laughs> yeah. and then you know, essentially, I was the target for everybody bullying. Mm-hmm. I could imagine. You know, so yeah, so I mean, I took a lot of like soul searching for me to kind of figure out who I was because it was a big change from when I was, you know, in uh, in Vietnam, where you know, I was had a lot of friends, I had a lot of family, you know, uh, and I wasn't. Like, you know, I had a lot of friends and everybody has my back, but mm-hmm. here, like, I, no one has my back. Mm-hmm. And so it took a, a big change in my thought process to kind of figure out who I was and what my identity was because everything was turned upside down. Did so, you talk to your parents about it or was it like something you've handled on your own, so to say? You know, honestly, I kept it most of it to myself because my parents had a big transition as well you know mm-hmm. they they had to start over as well mm-hmm. so seeing them struggle seeing them kind of you know suffering as well i did want to put more stress on them mm-hmm. you know i remember i used to uh the days where i just had enough i just turned on the shower and i got in the shower and i cried by myself because mm-hmm. i didn't want them to hear me crying i was like that i didn't like to cry in front of people <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah so I mean that kind of like kind of shaped who I was you know it made me feel more comfortable being by myself because before I used to like like being around my a lot of people so I think that kind of shaped who I was I, I was comfortable being by myself I was comfortable doing things by myself I didn't I was comfortable not needing the recognition from other people mm-hmm like I, I didn't need people to you know, say a great job or this or that and I, I mean as long as I felt like I did a good job I, that's all I, I needed I set the so ball that's, <laughs> yeah that's kind of shape who I was I didn't need like validation from other people so I mean it was very tough going through that transition at first but you know after just being alone for a while I kind of felt more comfortable in my own skin mm-hmm. you had to find self <laughs> what about you, Dr. Mesa? What about you? When did you find yourself? And then, talking about trauma, there are so many stories. Uh, whether the traumas that I experienced vicariously through working with gangs and, you know, very traumatized people or growing up in Iran in a very oppressive culture, but what you're seeing now in Iran is what could have happened back then. Mm-hmm. The idea of freedom of speech didn't exist. We knew that if we said something against the regime and the right people heard, you could be kidnapped, you could be tortured, you could be dead, and there was nothing anybody could How do you mentally um, go through that? <laughs> right. <laughs> and that is the funny story about us Iranians, is that mm-hmm. we're very resilient and we really... Mm-hmm. I think it's a part of our culture. We're one of the first civilizations that have human rights in our history. Like we have the Declaration of Human Rights mm-hmm. written as a stone in our uh, culture. But then when the, this regime took over, basically it stripped us of all rights. You know, women have half or less of a right as in Iran right now. People are getting killed and tortured, <coughs> kidnapped, and 
bodies are stolen from their families, their graves broken just because they're saying we don't want to wear a scarf, we don't want this regime, we have a right to exist. In this winter, people did not have gas. And imagine Iran has four seasons. So when it's winter, it's snow. Mm -hmm. It is cold. It is, and people had to live without gas. I mean, what a brutality is this. What a, what a power, what is it called when they just have, that's just too much power. (laughs) Yes, we do have a dictatorship. And Iranian people, Iranian youth and women and children and men and people are fighting with their hands and with their bodies. <laughs> that is all they have. There is no guns. Mm-hmm. There is nothing. And they're being shot at with the types of weapons that are banned for many years. Many of people who are detained, tortured, come out and kill themselves right away. Mm-hmm. Which makes you wonder, and I've seen this in my own life, and when I was in Iran, our neighbor was detained. We've gone through this protest, this is the one that hopefully will, you know, lead into something. But when I was in Iran, the university students started to protest. Our neighbors went, he was detained, three days later he came home and killed himself right away. Which makes you wonder, what did he go through? Mentally. Doing fine, a whole future ahead of him. But he asked me why we were able to survive, and it's because of the type of people we had in our houses. Mm. Iran is created of these people that, not to blow our own horn, but we, we really believe in humanity and doing the right thing and being hospitable and values and, you know, really caring about people and having an impact. So we had a very progressive people that I grew up with. And when you step into the regime, when you step into the street, you're dealing with these people that are practically brainwashed. <laughs> and they just take away your rights, you know. They just want to force whatever belief they have down there in your throat. And I don't even think there's any religion. I don't think they even practice the true religion. I think they just created something of their own. <laughs> they wanted they to just run. <laughs> that they want to run well wow. absolutely wow see group of terrorists running a, a whole beautiful country mm. Mm. so it sounds like all of us experience different type of trauma because of the different backgrounds that that we grew up in and you did mention working with the gang members you know and i'm guessing in that's south central you had said or was it some oh. Both. I was working in Twin Towers, CJ, Linwood, and South Central. Mm. And which gang? And, sorry, on gang members. Mm-hmm. With, with which which gang did you work with the most? Like of which gangs? I had all sorts of people, so it really worked. You know, because this is therapy, so I can't really tell you what I you know. But my people. You no, know, no, no! I'm saying they, like. Were they Cribs, Bloods, Vice Lords? Like, that's what I mean. I had all Cribs, Bloods, they, they were the Hispanic gangs, just because there were people in jail, right? Oh. There were people in the community. So, yeah. you know, I never awesome. knew when I could meet them. We didn't know. <laughs> I would them and we start talking and we would build bonds and we would get to know each other and then little by little things would come out. Interestingly, you know, it's just a story if I may share. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. When I came to the U.S., um, one of like I was my 
1920, right? And I was going to go to Santa Monica College. So this family, somebody that was here, said, hey, stay away from gangs. Like, I was going to come across them in Santa Monica College, right? Mm -hmm. So like, stay away from them, don't engage with them, so on and so forth. Of course, tell somebody don't do something, they're going to become interested. I'm not afraid. So got, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got very interested, and I started to study and read about them. And I don't know why. You know, it might be spirituality, it might be experience, but there was... This bond, this feeling, I just felt for them, you know, I felt for the tragedy of their lives. Mm. And through my career, I met many. And to be honest, every single one was such a tragic life of two. Mm -hmm. The life that had been taken and the life that stayed. And I did, as I said, I did my research, I, uh, my, my dissertation is called former gang members' experience of childhood and its impact on gang involvement. Mm. And every single, I, I worked with, I mean, I interviewed people who have served a life sentence and have came out. And every single person, it was such a clear story of tragedy, trauma, helplessness, leading to that moment that they felt that their lives were in danger and the second later when the trauma disappeared, realizing what just had happened and what it had <clears throat> they're spending the rest of their life mourning that. Mm -hmm. And all that it comes with it, the trauma that it caused. Mm -hmm. So I said with these individuals, it was honestly the story of two losses. Mm -hmm. Two people and families and many lives were affected in that moment. All because all the systems failed them. So that goes back to Dr. Needang. Um, Dr. Needang was talking basically about the children's book. What I heard recently is that you could never... Don't focus on changing the minds of the adults. That's a waste of time. They already lost. They already lost. Focus on the children because we're going to have to rebuild the nation as the children that's going to inherit the kingdom, not the older folks. Mm -hmm. So it's like... We're wasting time on all these older folks that have made up their mind and stuck in their Can't ways. teach an old dog new tricks. It's right? with the, it's with the <laughs> children that we got to focus on. So, Dr. Ding, with everything that you've heard, how do you feel like that links in with the work you're doing and your book? And tell the people more about your book and where they can find it. Yeah, uh, you know, definitely I think um, Dr. Masa is really doing on the back end of what I wanted. <laughs> uh, but I think she's uh, definitely providing great service for the community. Um, you know, I think, like I said, the uh, it begins at home, really. Just like you know, she talked about all these um, you know, traumas, you know, gang members. You know, they have all these traumas as a child. They really never really got the help. So that's why it's so important to really concentrate on the youth. Like I said, start that conversation at home. I think if um, you know, more. Attention was more. There's more attention for children. Um, mental health, I think, will make a big impact. You know, in 10, 20 years down the road. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, as for my children's book, you know, people can get uh, get more information on my website www.adventuresofmaxandfriends.org, or just you can Google the Adventures of Max and Friends. Uh, basically, it follows the main character. His name is Max. Uh, uh, sixth grade you and along the way you get this kind of see from his point of view and then his point friends points of view different um 
struggles they go through. So I purposely made the book where it transitions to a different character's point of view so you can kind of understand what the other characters are feeling. Sometimes a lot of time, you know, you can't understand what the uh, other person's thinking and feeling from just the outwardly. Like, for example, um, get the book away, but he gets bullied and then the second book transitions to the the bully's perspective and you see what he's going through what mm-hmm. he's thinking and you kind of realize oh, he's not that bad of a guy he's going just going through his own issues that so creates understanding like, yeah it just yeah. teaches empathy you know sometimes like you think that person is a horrible person but really if you took the time maybe they might not be maybe you got more in common with them than you think mm-hmm. this is a picture book yeah, it's a picture book. I mean, it's aimed for a middle grade because mm-hmm. I think it's the topics are kind of heavy for elementary school kids to mm-hmm. really <laughs> comprehend. But I think once they hit like middle grades, like you know, six, seven, eight, I think they can definitely uh, take in these topics and understand and and move on to when they go to high school when things even get rougher and they kind of have that understanding, and have that background already. I have a question for everybody about um. You're talking about the age. Nowadays, um, I feel kids are maturing. And something in the Caribbean, you know, when they were 14, they were called adults. Mm-hmm. Um, what age now, is is it still the same? Or is there, what is the age where you think we should start having those mental conversations with those with the children? Or should we sneak it in there, you know, more descriptively? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was I think that with, that's like all kids kind of grow mature at a different pace. So it's kind of hard to to pick an age. You know, as Dr. Moss can say, you know, some mature way beyond the years, depending on. Uh, but I think in general, a good age to start, you know, having that open dialogue at home would probably be, you know, Start uh, having that conversation. Oh, I gotta start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, the human brain doesn't do the devil until they're 25 years old, right? The whole brain until they're 25 years old. But we can start those conversations as long as infancy, right? My daughter is five years old, then she is, she, I think she was two or three when she started to talk about
providing that a space for children to be able to communicate. I mean, even as adults, right, we all have a child within it. True. We are the children we once were, unless we are re-raised. <laughs> and what I believe we do in therapy, right? The psychodynamic perspective is re-corrective emotional experiences, helping the person build that trust and connection with us, understanding why they do the things they do, and then having this transformation of stuff, <laughs> which in essence allows them to become open to many different possibilities because they're no longer shackled by their past. Or boxed in, yes. <laughs> and that's the essence of who we are. You know, we can always change, but we need that support and that help. Mm-hmm. And no better than, you know, the people in the home to recognize our own and what we have. I ask my daughter this often, she's five, like I said, it's like, is there anything you need from me? Is there anything I need to change? And she doesn't she shut she doesn't shy away. She's mm-hmm. like, Mommy, I need you to like I don't like it when you did it. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> that's another conversation yeah well, I have a five year old daughter too and she's sassy too like <laughs> you know that shows freedom mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. the other day like you said like when you really listening they know the difference cause the other day I was in the car with my daughter I told her let's go to the market um, because we were throwing the party and we had mm-hmm. to go get the stuff Yeah. so then she starts talking to me about like other people like around her in her life and and then she was like and i was like what you know about that she looked at me she's like let me tell you <laughs> and, then, and then i turned around and she was real serious she was like well this is what happened and then she was talking, like yo i'm like it's a real story <laughs> I'm like, I can tell that like, you've been hanging around some gossiping ladies. Like, <laughs> the way she's like, let me tell you. <laughs> and I was like, she picked that up from somebody, you know? Like, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. And that's just like, you know, when the young ladies are growing up, and they're, when they're getting their hair done by the older women. Oh, we the, hear about the gossip in the, yeah, the beauty shop. Yeah, <laughs> the, the older women are talking while they're doing the kids' hair, and they think that the kids are not listening. The whole time the kids are listening to what they're doing, right? It's almost like you're braiding that into their minds. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like the same thing with us in the barbershop, you know? Like, they're cutting our hair, but they're cutting this into our minds. I, I was definitely quiet, but I was studying the game. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's like, you know, and the barber guy, he's always the reckless living guy. Like, you know, he got the mad baby mom. crazy. He can't really, he don't want to pay child support. So, like, he, 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 he works there off the books. <laughs> like, yeah, I, can't, I need cash. I can't do these ass. Yeah, you know, he's always there. Every girl bad that comes influence. in, he tries to talk to them, you know. But there's always that one serious guy that's in the corner. He just cuts and, and goes home. And he's for his job. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I think that's our opportunity to step in, right? Because when the kids bring us those stories, they really tell us what they don't understand. Mm-hmm. What they cannot make sense of. And that's when we're able to start to digest the material they have heard. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, of course. So we at the one minute mark, right? So I want to hear you guys closing thoughts. Um, if the last few words that you want to leave to this audience for coming off the platform, coming on this platform, what would you like to leave with them? Um, as your contribution to the real word, like what real word would you like to give to the people? And also, where can they find you guys? And I think you two should continue to work together since you're both in California and what you do is similar. Mm-hmm. I think that's good. Networker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, but take the way message I said it was mental health. We all be more proactive for our mental health instead of waiting for something to happen to be to uh, kind of act on. So, you know, if you take any steps to uh, for your mental health, just start being more proactive. If you have kids, start talking to them. If you have uh, something, definitely get some therapy. Uh, nothing's too little for therapy you know you have any issues you want to that you're having trouble with i think being more important would be uh would really help you in the long run okay okay thank you for having me thank you for your listeners for listening to me i have two messages one is related to iran please write to your representatives that regime has to change it is a terrorist regime uh anything Yeah, it started back up for the finish. I thought it said one minute. I said less. Oh. <laughs> Let's just hit it. Yeah. Yeah. I. What you thought of the conversation so far? It is always good to talk with you know. People from all over the world. It's kind of. You know it's. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Please finish your thought. Yes. And the second thing that I would like to say is that if you have experienced sadness, trauma, pain, suffering, oppression, discrimination, I know what you mean, I've been through it, as you can see, in my country. Mm-hmm. You are not alone. No one deserves to suffer alone. And I want your listeners to, do, to know that we are here for them, whether it's me or people like me. Human race is not meant to be to live alone. And so please feel free to reach out to Heal and Thrive Psychotherapy and Coaching, heal-tribe.com. Any call will be answered. We're not in the business of ignoring people. Mm-hmm. We have many different options and we do offer coaching and ADHD coaching. No one deserves to suffer alone and you're not alone. Please feel free to reach out. That's love. And we thank you for being here. You know, we thank you for being flexible in your schedule and coming on our show all the way from California, you know, being persistent and contacting us and making it to the platform. And and like we said, we want to stay in touch. Like, I'm a social worker, too. I did my um, master's in social work at Fordham University. Um, But you know that. (laughs) Me and you spoke about this before. Um, So, you know, whenever it is, Whenever I'm able to come on this platform with my peers and have experts to talk about these things, I think it's always a great blessing and a great honor. Um, (laughs) Closing thought? Um, My closing thought to the people is care, self-care, and attentiveness. Um, Something I'm going to take from me, um, take from this conversation is, you know, the good values of, you know, being a good person 
pays off in the long run, you know. It pays off for yourself and it pays off for others. So definitely self-care and attentiveness to each other. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, Doctor, do, do you pray? Because we usually close out with a prayer. Yes, good. Okay. So you go ahead.